Well, today we're doing things just wild and crazy. I hope y'all can stand all this shifting around. And we read our psalm early, and now this is not the sermon text that we're going to read. And uh, I hope I haven't got you too upset and destabilized and disoriented, but rather we're going to read a text right now that gets us ready to read the sermon text later on. This is a wonderful text that describes Jesus, tells us who he is, and uh, it's a text that certainly deserves us to be on our feet to hear it. Let's be standing, please. This is the Word of God as brought to us in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross." May God bless the reading of his word. You know, you find some brotherhoods occasionally, people that are tied together by certain things. And today I want to ask you how many, I know this will be guys, uh, sorry uh, you ladies don't fit into this group, but how many of you guys know the name Joe Weeder? Joe Weeder, W-E, I've got a, got a couple. Now, you're going to have to be maybe not quite as ancient as I am, but you've got to be up there close to know the name Joe Weeder. Joe Weeder was a man who, who sold uh, weights and programs and protein powder, and he advertised a lot in the backs of comic books. Uh, to sort of pre-adolescent and just turned adolescent young men who wanted to have the body of Joe Weeder. There was a time in my life where I was convinced that Joe Weeder was the answer to all my problems. I saw an ad something like this in the back of the, you know, maybe I was in the seventh grade or so, and I was wanting to be the big star on the football team. I was beginning to want those pesky girls to finally look at me. And I had this problem. I kind of looked like this guy here. You know? and, and I wanted to look like, or the beginnings of the, you know, the guy. And, and so I'd read these things about Joe Weeder. And I have to confess, I'm not going to ask any of the rest of you guys to confess, I bought the program. I saved up my allowance, I mailed it in, I convinced my dad to buy me the weights, I set up a gymnasium out in the little storeroom behind our house, and for a whole summer, I worked on those weights, and I drank that protein powder, and it was nasty. But you know, the whole time I'm drinking it, I thought, but I'm going to, you know, it's going to be great. And look, see? Yeah, Joe owes me some money for selling all this stuff. I think he's still alive. 
I think he's 90 years old, so maybe, maybe it didn't build my body, but maybe it'll give me the same longevity of Joe Weeder. Well, you know, we're sort of suckers for things like that, because in so many areas of our life, we're convinced that if there, there's just this one thing that we can find that'll sort of make everything fall into place, one particular area of our life that we can fix, uh, one particular thing we can buy, or one particular book we can read, and finally everything is going to make sense. It is this deep need that we have and the belief that this can work that drives most of the scams that we come across. Uh, these people that set themselves up saying, if you will just do this or buy this, then look what will happen. I was listening to the radio the other day, and uh, they, were, they were interviewing someone about the scams that are now going on with DNA testing. Uh, more and more, you can buy these little home DNA testing kits. And uh, no, you don't get to use the microscope and figure out and look at your DNA, but you swab your mouth and send it in to this company, and they analyze your DNA. And they send you back the results of what your DNA is telling them. And they tell you the probabilities of you developing heart disease, the probabilities of you developing cancer. And they can sort of just map out for you what your life is going to be like going forward, even telling you an approximate age range for your DNA. But not only that, they also promise to sell you a pill that has been engineered to meet the needs of you. And it will repair your damaged DNA. That if you, have, uh, uh, if you are, 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 are prone to have cancer because of your DNA, if you will buy their pill and take it, it'll fix your DNA. Do you think anyone's bought this? Oh, yeah. In fact, the government now is having to get in because science isn't quite there yet. You know, there's enough truth there, but there's, you know, it's just not quite there yet. But it's that need that really drives people to find that one thing, just that one thing that will kind of fix their lives. Now, one area that we are particularly prone to be driven by this is in our spirituality. Now, every one of us here can be convinced or feels like somewhere that we're really not as spiritual as we ought to be. Uh, that is a guilt button that all of us wear on us all the time, and it's easy for people to push. You're not as spiritual as you need to be. You're not as faithful as you need to be. You know, you're just not as good as you really need to be when it comes to your relationship with God. And because that we all seem to have that button that is easily pushed and we all kind of have that feeling kind of tucked away deep down inside of us that, that we really do need something else, there's all kinds of products out there trying to convince us that if you will do this, if you will read this book, I, right out of high school, I went and sold Bibles with Charles Seibert, <laughs> and uh, it had a great experience. It didn't sell many Bibles, but they taught us how to sell Bibles, and, and never will forget that one of the lines that we were supposed to use, if we went to a house and knocked on a door, and there were obviously children in the house, one line that we were always to pull out and to throw at them was this, 
Do your children read the Bible as much as you wish they would? Well, you know the answer to that. (laughs) Well, no. Do you read the Bible as much as you really think you ought to read the Bible? Well, you know the answer to that. No. Well, if you buy this Bible, you will. Because this Bible is so interesting, it's got all these pictures, it's got all this stuff in it, and if you buy this Bible, your children will rush home from school, pull the Bible out, and spend four hours, you know, going through this Bible, just pouring over it. Well, it works sometimes. Sold some Bibles. Why? Because we really think that that if I could just find that one thing then all of a sudden I would catch fire and, and I would be that strong, Christian, faithful, deep person that I want to be. So buy this book or go on this retreat or go to this seminar and on and on we go and then perhaps, just perhaps, and if the church would just implement this one program, it would finally be the church I want this church to be. You know, it, it's just kind of there. And if they would just do things this way, then everything would work. Well, the reason we're talking about this today is because we just have been looking. Oh, we didn't look last week, but the week before last, we looked at the book of Colossians and the church in Colossae. And that church in Colossae, had some folks that had either gone off to a seminar somewhere or had moved into town, and they were convincing the Christians in that church that they weren't good enough, that they just were not the spiritual people that they needed to be. Because the people of the first century had the same buttons that we have today to make us feel guilty about who we are and what we are. And so it had worked. And these, these people that had come into this church had convinced this church that it just wasn't a very good church and that they weren't very good Christians. Now, if you can remember back when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we noticed how Paul began his letter to them. That he didn't pull out a big stick and say, come on, you know, you, you got to get better. You got, but rather he started talking to them. He said, you're saints. And people everywhere are talking about your faith and your hope and your love. Remember that when we talked about that? And he kind of took their head and lifted it up and said, it's going to be okay. Well, in our text today, he goes on beyond that. Because he wants to tell the folks what it is that really means being a spiritual giant. Now, these other people, they had their answers. And if we read the book of Colossians, we find out what their answers were, or at least some of them. They said, for example, you've got to live a stricter lifestyle. The problem with you folks is, is that you're too worldly. Their mantra was, don't touch it, don't taste it, don't handle it. You ever known Christians that feel like that the ultimate mark of a Christian is what they don't do? Yeah, that I don't live, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ came to take away my life and to take it away completely. And that almost seems to be what some Christians seem to think that Christianity is all about. And that's what these folks were preaching. If you want to be a strong Christian, man, you just sort of sit at home. You, you don't get out in there in the world. You don't mix with people. You don't touch the things they touch. You don't taste the things that they t- You just, it's more what you don't do. 
Another group of them were telling them, you've got to watch out for the spiritual critters that are running around all over the universe. There's all these wild, bad spirits in the air, and if you're not real careful, one of them's going to jump on you, and in fact, I think you may have one right now. You, know, you do remember about, I don't know, 15 years ago, I think it was, the name was Peretti was his last name, and he wrote some books that kind of got into that idea again, and people were reading it going, ooh, there may be a demon over here, and ooh, there may be a demon over there, and, and we were scared that we were not going to be strong Christians and that these demons would slip into our body some way. Well, this is what these people were telling the church in Colossae. So these are the people that Paul is writing to now. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel good about their faith. They don't feel good about their spirituality. They're being told they're not up to to speed. They're way behind times. They're old fogies. You know, all these kinds of things are being told to them. And Paul writes to tell them this. You ready? Paul writes to tell them. You already have everything you need to have a rich and full relationship with God. You've got it. And in fact, the better news is that it's not a thing at all. It's not something you need, and it's not something you have. It's someone. And that's totally different. It's totally different than going out and trying to find a product. It's totally different than trying to find some way of adjusting your thinking or to to do this or to do that. It's really all about someone. Now we're going to read the sermon text. Because, you see, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. You know me, I'll have to say something about it. But I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because I want us to have the same experience for the most part that that church in Colossae had the first time they heard this letter from Paul. You know, they had come to church that day, and someone got up and said, Paul has written us a letter. And they began reading the letter. And now we know kind of how most of them were feeling, kind of down about themselves, wondering if they were ever going to become really deep spiritual people because they weren't buying into these programs and all this other stuff that some of these people were telling them they needed to do. And they began to hear what Paul was writing to them. And like we said in the beginning, he calls them saints. And he says, everybody's talking about how faithful you are and how much you love and and your strong hope. And then he gets in here into chapter 2. And listen to what he tells them. And you try to identify with those folks. And if, just if, you may be someone who's kind of down on yourself about the level of your spirituality If you're kind of disappointed in your relationship with God and wishing that you could find something that would kind of jazz it up and get it going, then maybe you can listen along with them and hear what Paul told them. It's like this. I can get it going here. Here we go. Colossians 2, 6 through 14. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay, i got to tell you something. (laughs) Didn't make it too far, did I? Think back. Think back to the time when you embraced Jesus, really embraced him. 
Now, maybe it was the first time. Some of you, if you grew up going to church all your life, you can't really remember that very first time that you began to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That's sort of always been there, hasn't it? But there have been times in your life where you really opened your heart and you received him. That word can also be translated to welcome him or to embrace him. Think about the first time you hugged Jesus. The first time you reached out and really pulled him in and said, thank you, Lord. Okay, now remember that. And remember how you felt when you did that. And remember how good it felt and how confident you were and how sure you were that he was right there, right there for you. Okay, so you've got that in your mind. You've got that in your heart. As you therefore received him, the same way that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, this has continued to live your lives in him. Well, that's that old English getting in the way. What Paul said is just keep on walking with him. Keep on walking with him. That's what you need to do. You embraced him. You welcomed him. All you got to do is just remember that every step you take, he's walking right beside you. And as you're walking with him, remember that you can talk to him. Remember that walking along beside someone is the greatest way to get to know them. It's the greatest way to, to share with them and for them to share with you. Pat and I get up every morning at 5.30. That was her idea, not mine. We get up at 5.30, we go walking. Some of our walks are nothing. I mean, we take the dogs with us. We're both kind of grumpy. We're, you know, we, we've just, we're trying to wake up and get going, and we walk along. And to be honest, some mornings we say like three words to each other. We just go. But then there are those other mornings where we're walking along, and it's some of the best time that we have together just walking along in the coolness of the morning and talking about what yesterday was like and talking about what today's going to be and, and making plans for the future and, and just sharing. Well, what a great way that Paul is pulling this. You know, people back then used to walk everywhere. And, and so walking, traveling together, this is what his analogy is. As you're walking along, you're traveling this road with him and he's right beside you. So don't forget that. That's all he's saying. Don't forget that he's right there. Talk to him. Let him teach you who he is. Let him give you the strength that you need. It's no secret. He's with you. Walk with him just as you first received him. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. He uses kind of two, a mix of measure, measure here, like, you know, a tree or a plant putting its roots down, or you going and building. He says, just shape your life like his. As you live and as you walk beside him, as you get to know him, just look like him. There we go. Try to look like him. You know, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard. Yeah, you, it would help if you read the Gospels and you could see who he was and, and read your Bible. That's good. But the main thing is walk with him. Just don't forget that he's there. Let's hurry along. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I don't have time to talk about that, but all through the book of Colossians, Paul says if there is any secret that you need to know, it's just you need to remember to always be thankful. In whatever circumstances, in all that you do, always give thanks to God. Uh, I think it's six times in Colossians he says, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. 
And uh, anyway, but that's free. Uh, We're going to move on. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. All these things these people are telling you, trying to sell you their products, trying to make you feel bad. Don't get into that. That's according to human tradition. According to those elemental spirits of the universe, the little little bugbears that are running around. Don't worry about those guys. That's not according to Christ. If you are walking with Jesus, you don't have to worry about any of these spiritual demons and powers and so forth. Because why? Well, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's why we read that first passage. Did you see that great description of who Jesus is? Everything that God is has been poured into Jesus. He came in, and there's nothing more that we need. There's nothing more that there is. It's all in Jesus. And the great blessing is that you have come to fullness in him as well. That everything you need to live a life that is joyous and good and meaningful and purposeful is found in the fact that Jesus Christ is walking along beside you. You're traveling together through this life. If I can click this one more time. Who is the head of every ruler and authority. Now, one more thinking back and then we're through. He says, how do you know all of this is happening? Well, again, he wants us to go back and to remember that time when we embraced Jesus. And, and he refers back to what happened to the, in the Jewish tradition. He says, there was this thing called circumcision in the Jewish tradition. And you knew you were a Jewish man because you were a circumcised man. Well, that's no longer really relevant to our spirituality. But we have a mark that we always carry with us, that we always remember. When you were buried with him by baptism and raised through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead, that is the mark that you wear. And if you ever doubt that Jesus Christ is right beside you, just go back and remember that day when you stepped into the river, when you stepped into the lake, when you stepped into the baptistry, And you knew he met you there. There was no doubt at all in your mind he met you there. And no one and nothing can ever take that experience away from you. If you just hold it in your heart and you keep it there. And you know that every step that you take, he is walking with you. When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us of all of our trespasses... And he has erased the record that stood against us with its legal demands, nailing it to the cross. He set it aside. This is the Jesus that walks beside you. He's the one that puts his arm around you and says, it's going to be okay. He's the one that puts his arm around you and says, don't worry, we're good. You and I are good. You and the Father are good. And that's really all you need is just to remember that he's there. Let's stand and sing.